Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. We are continuing with our series uh, called The Gathering. Uh, we're continuing to look at what do we do when we gather? What do we do when we uh, come together? So we talked about uh, the fellowship that we as a church are supposed to fellowship with one another. Uh, we also talked about uh, how that, that fellowship is kind of an overarching theme of our gatherings as a whole, is that we are, we are fellowshipping with one another. We talked about uh, the music that we're supposed to pour out uh, our hearts in praise to the Lord, that we are supposed to lift up uh, emotion and truth to the Lord and to each other as we remind one another about these gospel truths when we sing. We talked about uh, our prayer, that we're supposed to pray big prayers together, that we lift things up to the Lord together as a church. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about the sermon time of our gathering. Uh, have you guys ever had like a dream within a dream? You know, uh, that's kind of how I feel this morning. Uh, you know, as a preacher talking about preaching in a in a sermon, right? It's a little like when I was in uh, college, I uh, I had a dream, woke up from it, looked at my clock. It was uh, 6 a.m. I didn't have class till 8 a.m. So I I just kind of laid my head back down and uh, woke up and was so nervous because I thought I'd overslept and slept through my class. I looked at my phone. It was 3:30 a.m. I had dreamt that I woke up <laughs> at a different time, like dream within a dream. So this morning, very much kind of an inception type thing. We're going to talk about preaching in a sermon. We're going to talk about uh, the sermon time of our gathering in a sermon. Uh, so 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, is where we're going to be. 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, that it does cover uh, so many different aspects of our gathering, that you do teach us uh, what our gathering should look like. You don't leave us uh, empty and blank and just kind of grasping for answers. God, you teach us in your word. So thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to explain what it means, the opportunity to, to hear from you in your word this morning. God, I pray that it would change us and shape us and mold us in the image of Jesus. God, that you would, you would, uh, you would convict us of things that are uh, wrong, convict us of things uh, that, we, uh, that we believe that aren't true. And God, that you would continue to shape and mold us closer and further into the image of Jesus. We love you and praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, the two most important, uh, two most popular, the two most uh, thought-about things when it comes to a Sunday morning service are the music and the preaching. Right? Those are the two elements of a Sunday morning service, the, uh, of, a, of a gathering of believers that we highlight. Right? When you think of coming to church on Sunday morning, more than likely those are the two things you think of. You think of music, and you think of a sermon. Uh, that hasn't historically always been that way. Uh, throughout church history, there, there have been different elements of the service, different elements of the gathering that, ha that have had more prominence than others. So um, at, uh, 
you know, the Lord's Supper throughout church history at, at one point or another had more prominence. Some groups had prayer hires. Some groups had uh, fellowship hires. But, but as of right now, in our culture, the way that we view the church and the way we view our gatherings, the two most uh, thought about, the two most important are music and preaching. Those are the two um, that we associate the most with gatherings. Uh, and that has happened especially, the preaching has happened especially since the 1500s and the Protestant Reformation. So uh, around 1500, the pulpit was moved to the center of the church. It used to be um, the, the, the table for the, um, for the Lord's Supper. They, they changed that around 1500 where the pulpit became the center of the church because they highlighted the fact that the word of God is central. Now we need to preach the word of God. We need to teach the word of God. And so they placed a high emphasis on sermons. But the, what the sermons looked like over history has, has changed dramatically, right? Most of us would hate Puritan sermons from the 16 and 1700s, right? Most of us, like, can you imagine sitting there in a Puritan sermon where someone has written out their sermon, they've stood up at this big lectern, and then they just talk for an hour or two, you know, and a very long-winded talk that is completely devoid of any humor, no illustrations, no stories. I mean, it's just talking. And... I mean, it's, it's incredibly boring. Like, some of you are, are already asleep this morning, right? And we just started talking. And uh, so we would not make it through most Puritan sermons. Um, but that has always changed around 1700, the mid-1700s. Some guys came that were more dynamic. They had more emotion. They, they were a little more uh, engaging as preachers. They became really famous, guys like George Whitfield, because they were more uh, dynamic and engaging. Uh, they were more, uh, they, were, they would cry on stage. That was, nobody did that. And so you, uh, you, got, you got to see more and more uh, emotions come out in sermons. And then uh, fast forward to about 50 years ago, something that we've talked about already several weeks in a row. Um, but around 50 years ago, the, the Christian church, the Americans in, uh, American Christians started to really value the production and the performance of a Sunday morning gathering. They really began to value the entertainment from a Sunday morning service. And so that what happens on a Sunday morning service, what happens in our gathering, then becomes what happens on stage. So, so I and the band, we're the ones that put on a performance. We're the ones that do the Sunday morning gathering. We're the ones that do the service. And the church as a whole just kind of sits and consumes uh, what's going on. That, that shift happened about 50 years ago. And so we, uh, we love the production value and the entertainment value of a Sunday morning service, Sunday morning gathering. And so what happens to sermons when you are prioritizing uh, the entertainment value and the production value? Well, the sermons get shorter and shorter uh, because nobody wants to sit longer than 25 minutes for a sermon. Um, they become filled with stories and anecdotes and lessons uh, and um, and illustrations, they become filled with jokes and humor, uh, and, and more and more, they become really entertaining. They become really engaging, but what happens is we also start to, to, uh, to make the message, the actual biblical presentation, more shallow. We start to hide things that are less entertaining, like sin, <laughs> and we start to talk about things that are more uplifting and motivating and encouraging. And so the preaching then becomes very shallow and empty. A few years ago, uh, or back when I was in high school, uh, I was working at a, uh, at a camp one summer, uh, kind of behind the scenes, and it's this huge Christian camp, over 2,000 students were there, and we had a, a speaker get on stage, and the speaker essentially got up there and gave like a comedy set, right? He got up there and he just, he rattled off joke after joke in his sermon, 
uh, and, and then eventually kind of got around to a Bible verse, threw that in there, uh, and then immediately followed that up with a, uh, you know, an illustration on the screen, then would tell a funny story peppered with jokes, and then when he finished his set, he would end it in prayer, and then he would get off, right? That was the sermon for camp, was a comedy set. And this guy got brought back year after year after year after year to these Christian camps. Why? Because it was entertaining. I, mean, I was rolling on the floor, like laughing in the back. Like, it was hilarious. But it was empty. <laughs> right? It was completely useless for the students. The question we need to ask ourselves when we're evaluating sermons, the question we need to ask ourselves when we're thinking about preaching is why do we have sermons to begin with? Why is it that when we gather, somebody gets up and talks in this extended monologue for uh, the rest of the church? Why do we do this? Well, we're going to see this morning is that we need to and we must expound the word of God when we gather because sound doctrine is valuable. We must discuss scripture and talk about the word of God and explain what it means because sound doctrine is valuable. Now, I don't want to pose uh, and, and put sound doctrine and entertainment in opposition to one another, right? I don't, I don't want to preach extremely boring sermons. Some of you are like, well, too late. You know, like, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to preach extremely boring and uninteresting sermons. Uh, th- those two are not polar opposites, right? When you think of sound doctrine, you may be thinking about a, a lecture that is really boring and filled with theological jargon. That's not exactly what I mean. They're not opposites. You can have entertaining, engaging sermons that teach sound doctrine, but what's most important in a sermon is not how entertaining it is. And what is most important in a sermon is not how engaging it is. What's most important is in the sermon is sound doctrine. What's most important in a sermon is what's being conveyed by the word of God to the hearers. So when we gather, we expound the word of God because sound doctrine is valuable. We're going to see four things in the text this morning that make up a good sermon. Four, four things that we need to expect from our ser- sermons. Four things that you need to hold me accountable for and other preachers accountable, uh, accountable for. Four things that we need to use to evaluate sermons when we listen to sermons online or we, uh, we read a, and pick up Christian books uh, and, and other Christian teachings. What makes a good sermon? The first thing we're going to see is that a good sermon is rooted in Scripture. A good sermon is rooted in Scripture. Look with me in verse 1. Paul is talking to Timothy here. Timothy is a pastor uh, at Ephesus, a church in Ephesus. He's one of the uh, kind of the lead teachers there in Ephesus. And And Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. So the way that we gather in terms of, of sermons actually uh, started way back in the early church. We talked about this uh, when we talked about Acts, at the beginning of the book of Acts. But when, when the church started, when Christians just started gathering, initially they started gathering in synagogues because all of the, the first Christians were Jewish. Right? They, they were Jews initially. They had come to faith in Jesus. They just kept gathering in synagogues. And what happened at synagogues is that every week, Someone would come, or really every day, but especially every week, someone would come up to the front, a teacher, they would open a scroll, they would read what the scroll said, they would close it up, hand it back, and then they would explain what it means. That's the idea of teaching and preaching the word 
that Paul is proclaiming here. Because when Christians gathered, they just continued that practice. They would open up the word of God, they would read it, and they would explain what it means. This goes all the way back uh, to the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah. What happened back in Nehemiah is that the, uh, if you remember the story of Nehemiah, is that the people of Israel rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. It had been torn down decades before. They rebuilt the wall. And once the wall was complete, everybody's celebrating. And Ezra, the scribe, gets in the middle of the town. Everybody gathers. And Ezra reads the entire book of the law. It takes him six hours. He reads the entire book, all of God's word to God's people. And then we find out in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 that there's a group of men who then go through the people of Israel and they explain the book so that people understand it. Right? It's not just that he's reading it, they're going out and they're explaining it. They're saying, this is what this means, this is what this means. And they're teaching them from the word of God exactly what it means. That's the kind of teaching that Paul is proclaiming here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. Not just fun ideas. Not just your opinion. Not just the things that seem right to you. Open up the word of God and preach it. There's a word for this. It's called expository preaching. What expository preaching is, is when we open up the Bible and we expose what is in there for the people listening. Or where we open up scripture and we just expose it. We just allow scripture to talk and to speak. We explain what it means and what God meant by what's being written. So that it can impact people's lives. What is most valuable in a sermon is not how it's framed. What's most valuable in the sermon is not the opinions that are attached to it. What's most valuable in the sermon is the word of God. God's word is what can change your life. God's word is what can give you different ideas about who God is and what he wants from you. God's word is, about, uh, is, uh, is what can give you hope and life, not just my opinions or ideas. It's really easy and really popular to give sermons that sound like uh, 10 steps to have a better marriage, right? Or five steps to raise awesome kids. Or six steps to be more successful in life. Like it's really easy and really popular to give a sermon, some type of sermon like that. And maybe if that's what the Bible teaches, if that's what the text says, then that's a good sermon to preach. But, but normally what it is is a pastor giving his opinion, giving his ideas, and then finding Bible verses that seem to match it and throwing that out there. But what is most important for you is not what I think. I can, get, I can come up here and give you my opinions and my thoughts all day, but that's not going to change your life. What's most important for you is what the word of God says. Pastors are not like political pundits on the radio, right? Where they get the, the current events of the day, they kind of organize their script, and then they just talk about how, what they think about the events. They just talk about their opinions. They just talk about how you should think about these things. Like, that's not what pastors do. I am not just relaying to you my opinions and what I think you should believe based on what I believe. What we should be doing is opening up the word of God and exposing it, explaining what it means. And we allow the word of God to speak to your life. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient, open up the word of God and explain it. Preach the word. I was at another camp 
where uh, the speaker got up uh, and, and spoke for 15 minutes, and the entire thing was a story, kind of his life story, and then he would pepper in there uh, some different verses that hit on different points, and, uh, and that was every single sermon. It was just a story from his life that was peppered in there with, with Bible verses. They were really good. I mean, they were engaging, they were entertaining, they were, they were biblically accurate and that they were, you know, they were true things that he was saying. But his life story is not what's going to change people's lives. The, the stories and the illustrations, the ideas that he brought out is not the thing. Those are not the things that are going to bring about life change and hope and joy in the world. What's going to change people's hearts and minds is the word of God. Paul says just a few verses before this in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that the word of God is valuable, that it is profitable, that it is useful for Christians. It's God's word that's useful, not my ideas and not my opinions. Way too often, sermons that are engaging and entertaining but lack scriptural content and, and lack the word of God are really based on just man's opinions, man's ideas, and man's thoughts. That is not a good sermon. What you should expect from a sermon, what you should expect from a preacher, is then to open up the word of God and to explain what it means for your life. It is a, script, a sermon that is rooted in Scripture. Now, another point I need to make on this is that just because a sermon uses the Bible doesn't mean it's rooted in the Bible. Just because it points to Bible verses doesn't mean that it's rooted in Scripture. The idea uh, is that you can't take verses out of context. You can take a verse out of context and make it say whatever you want it to say. Uh, there are, uh, and I've known several student pastors uh, who love Habakkuk 1.5, uh, and they will put it on banners, and they will say it in a very uh, positive and championing way. Uh, Habakkuk 1.5 says, Look among the nations, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if you were told. And they put that on a banner, and they, they shouted to their, their student ministry, God is doing a work in our day that we won't even believe if we were told. Like, God is doing an unbelievable work in our city. It sounds really great, and it, people get excited, and there's, there's a lot of cheering and, and uplifting. It sounds like a great mission statement, but the, the reality is that if you look at the context of Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is crying out to God, saying, God, there are evil, wicked people that seem to be prospering in Israel, and God says, I'm doing a work in your day that you won't even believe if I told you. And then he tells them what it is. The work that he's doing is raising up Babylon to come in and destroy Israel. That's not a cheerful, <laughs> joyful message that is, that is meant to be on a banner. In fact, Paul uses that verse in the New Testament and says, be careful unless this verse comes upon you. <laughs> and Paul says, be careful so that God doesn't do a work to destroy you. <laughs> So that is not the way to use Habakkuk 1.5. Just because it uses the Bible doesn't mean it's rooted in Scripture. We need to allow the Bible to speak. We need to open up and expose what it says, not interpret and apply what we think it should say onto the text and then give that. And to just open up the Word of God and expose what it says. Paul tells Timothy, preach the Word. A good sermon is one that is rooted in in scripture, because scripture is what's valuable. Second thing is this. A good sermon is one that is convicting. A good sermon is one that is convicting. Look with me at the second half of verse 2. 
He says, preach the word. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul tells Timothy here, preach the word, and as you're preaching the word, reprove, rebuke, exhort people, challenge people's ideas, allow the word of God to change people's hearts and to change people's minds, because what's happening is, Paul explains in this passage what's happening today and what has happened throughout church history and will continue to happen until Jesus comes back, is that people do not want to be convicted. People do not want to listen to things that they don't believe yet. <laughs> and they don't want to listen to things that, that challenge their beliefs. They don't want to listen to things that challenge their actions and their, their, uh, the way that they live and the way that they respond to God. They don't want to listen to those things. People like to listen to things they already believe. They like to listen to things that they already agree with. And so what happens is people are bringing out and, and, and migrating towards preachers that already teach them what they believe. Preachers that, that give out motivational speeches, give out encouragement, whose sermons are filled with popular psychology and, and uh, the self-esteem ideas that are prevalent in our culture, these ideas uh, that people already believe and want to hear, they flock to those preachers. But a good sermon is one that challenges what we believe. Because the Word of God does that. If we, if we go back just a few verses... In chapter 3, verse 16, Paul tells Timothy, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What the word of God does is it exposes the flaws and the faults in our lives, the things that we're holding on to that are not honoring to God, the things that we believe that are untrue about God, and it exposes those faults, and it compels us to turn those over to the Lord, and by the grace of God, we can be changed. What it does is it shows us the things in our lives that, we, that are not right, that are not righteous. And by the grace of God and the power of, of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are able to grow in the image of Jesus. When we repent of those things and we turn of those things and we trust in Jesus, we grow and become equipped for every good work. That's what the Word of God does. But we don't like that. We don't like to be challenged. We like the way that we do things. We like the things that we believe. We are safe and comfortable with the way that things are. We don't like to be convicted or challenged. And so we flock to preachers and teachers that tell us what we already like to hear. And before we think, well, that's a problem for some people in the country and not me. That's a problem for a lot of other people. Uh, we, we have to recognize that the most popular preachers and teachers uh, in the world are unbiblical. That some of the most popular preachers and teachers teach things that people already want to hear. When the most popular preachers and teachers in the world are guys like Joel Osteen and T.D. Jakes and Rob Bell teaching things that, that people already want to hear. We know that the most popular ideas and the popular preachers, the ones that we flock to, the ones that we listen to online, the ones that we look at, are ones that teach these things that people already want to hear. We know that it is beginning to affect not just 
some fringe population, not just some small group of Christians that are flocking to these preachers, but it's, it's affecting a lot of us. I go to Christian bookstores, and I am uh, depressed by the offerings at Christian bookstores. Because so many of the books, especially the ones targeted towards women, so many of the books are just filled with, with uh, mostly psychology and self-esteem and telling you things that our culture finds valuable, telling you things that our culture likes to hear, but they are absent of the word of God. Good, true, biblical sermons are convicting because they expose the ungodly, unrighteous ideas that we hold, no matter how painful it is. They expose the ungodly, unrighteous ideas that we hold on to. And it compels us to repent of those things, to turn from those things, and by the grace of God to grow. If we can come in every single week and leave every single week and not be convicted by the word of God, it's, it's one of two issues. Either the issue is with you or the issue is with me or both. It could just be that, that we're not convicted because we have, we have turned off our ears. And we have decided to not listen. We have decided to not be impacted by what the Word of God says. Or it could be that we're not opening up the Word of God and exposing what it says and exposing our lives to what the Word of God teaches so that it convicts us and challenges us. And it, it, So it could be with me. But good biblical sermons are ones that are convicting that challenge us to grow and challenge us to give up the ungodly, unbiblical ideas. If you have a church that comes in week after week not being convicted by the word of God, then you're going to have a church that doesn't grow. It may grow numerically. It may be a popular place to be. They may have a lot of good things going on, but you're going to have a church that does not grow further in the image of Jesus. You're going to have a church that does not grow in unity and Christ's likeness and a passion for evangelism because the word of God compels us to grow in those areas. The word of God convicts us to get rid of the things that are unbiblical and ungodly. A good sermon is convicting. Third thing we're going to see is this. A good sermon is applied. A good sermon is applied. Look with me in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. So Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says, unlike the people that gather for themselves preachers and teachers that tell them what they already want to hear, unlike those people, as for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. So fun fact, this text was actually the first text that I ever preached, uh, but 10 years ago now, it was my very first sermon, and I spoke on this passage. I, I went actually a little bit before and a little bit after, um, but this was the text that I first preached, and it was uh, awful. I mean, it was a terrible sermon, and not just because it was, uh, not just because it was bad, you know, like it's, like the delivery was terrible, which it was, uh, you know, it's not just that the delivery was bad, but my, my actual content uh, wasn't great, because I got to this point, excuse me, I got to this point in verse 5, and it says, always be sober-minded, and I just kind of brushed over that uh, that idea and said, see, this is the Bible saying, don't get drunk or high, right? Always be sober-minded and kind of walked right through. But that's not really the idea. That's not really what Paul is explaining here 
in 1 Timothy 4, verse 5, when he says, always be sober-minded, what he's talking about is always be be clear of thought, be level-headed, have the word of God guide the way that you think. Let the word of God actually impact your mind so that you are are sober-minded, not drawn away by the things of the world, the flashy and the newest philosophies, the flashy and the newest psychologies, not drawn away from the things of the world and distracted, but let the word of God guide your mind. Always be sober-minded. And he goes on, endure hardship. That means let the word of God, when it guides your mind, let it actually guard your life as well. Let it guide you in what you do. Let it actually be applied to your life. And when you face persecution, when things come against you that are unrighteous and ungodly and unfair, keep following Jesus. Endure suffering. Apply the word of God to your life no matter what comes against you. That do as I say and not as I do is a horrible idea for preachers. That the word of God shouldn't just be known. It should be applied That's why one of our values at this church is apply the scriptures. Because we value faithful preaching, faithful teaching from the word of God. And we value studying the Bible together in community. But not just to know it, but to live it. It has to change our lives. A good sermon goes way beyond just our heads, just what we know. And begins to impact and influence the lives of the people that listen to it. It should be lived out first by the preacher. It should, be, it, should be, it should be matched. The sermon should be matched by the life of the person preaching. But then it should be applied by the people listening. We hear and are convicted from Scripture, and we apply it to our lives. We repent of the things that we're told to turn away from, and we trust in Jesus for forgiveness and grace and allow him to grow us in the image of Jesus. A good sermon isn't just known, it's applied. I'm not interested in pastoring a church full of theologians that know the Bible really well but don't live it out. I, I'm, I am not interested in leading a group of people that are really knowledgeable, that, that, that know everything there is to know, that can rattle off big theological ideas, that can tell you big theological words and explain exactly what they all mean, that knows eschatology and hamartiology. Like, I don't, I'm not interested in a church that can throw out all of these big words theologically. But do not live it out. Because the Word of God is not interested in a group of people that can throw out big words and, and be knowledgeable but not live it out. God's Word is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's applied. It goes beyond the head and impacts the life. Paul tells Timothy, be sober-minded. Let the word of God guide your thoughts and let it guide your life. So that even when suffering comes, even when people come against you, your life reflects the fact that you know the word of God. Your life reflects the fact that you know Jesus. The fourth thing that we see in this text is that a good sermon is evangelistic. A good sermon is evangelistic. Look with me at the second half of verse 5. Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, there's a lot of debate uh, among scholars on what this verse actually means. 
So is Paul talking to Timothy here and, and teaching something that's a broad truth for all pastors, that all pastors should, should do the work of an evangelist and fulfill their ministry, that, that that's what their ministry entails? Or, or is this something specific to Timothy, that Timothy has a specific calling to be uh, more of an evangelist than a pastor, and so he's supposed to do that and fulfill his ministry? I, there's a lot of debate on what that means, and I'm, I'm not going to kind of wade into that because I don't think that's what's most important. Here's what I know. That Paul has taught and instructed Timothy to teach the word. And every sermon, when you actually open up the word of God and teach it, it should have at the forefront the gospel. The gospel should flow through, through every sermon because the gospel flows through the word of God. Scripture is God's special revelation of himself to us. And it is a story from Genesis to Revelation of, of God creating the world and loving his creation. It's a story of his creation rebelling against him, mankind spurning him and turning away and rebelling and sinning before God. And it's a story about God still loving his creation that rebelled him, against him. It's a story that looks forward in the Old Testament to Jesus who came and gave his life on a cross so that we could be saved. It's a story in the New Testament that looks back and explains the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and looks forward to when Jesus comes back and God restores the world and makes everything right and everything new and does away with sin and death. It is a story about the gospel. And so on every page there is the gospel. And a sermon that lacks the gospel, the sermon that lacks evangelism, a sermon that, that lacks in, uh, information about Jesus, information about God being holy and righteous, a sermon that lacks the gospel, is a sermon that is not rooted in Scripture because it's missing the point. A good sermon is evangelistic because the Bible is about the gospel. Paul tells uh, the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4 and tells them that he has a ministry and his ministry is to help people behold the glory of God, to reveal to people just how great and glorious and righteous and holy God is and to explain to them and allow them to see the grace of God and the gospel in their life, how they can come to know the love of God, how they can come to know the peace and the joy that God provides, how they can come to know forgiveness and a right relationship with the Lord through Jesus. And he explains earlier uh, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, he says, the way that God conveys salvation is through the foolishness of preaching. The way that people know that there is eternal life available to them, the way that people know the gospel is when people get up and they proclaim it from the word of God. When we teach the word of God, when we open it up and we expose what it means for our life, we have to have as a part of it the concept of the gospel. Because everything in here is about the love of God for his people, God restoring the world. Uh, everything in here on every single page is about Jesus. Now, it's going to be different aspects. right? A lot of the Old Testament stories you can't just look at and directly say, well, this is Jesus here, and this, you know, uh, that's not exactly what I'm saying. My point is the whole Bible is a story of redemption. The whole Bible is the story of the gospel, and so on every page there is some facet, some element of the gospel. 
when we preach sermons that are rooted in the word of God, that, that are convicting us of sin, that are convicting us of the things that we, we believe that we shouldn't. And when we apply those things to our lives, we're going to have our sermons that are evangelistic. Because the number one thing the Bible points out to us is whether or not we know Jesus. The number one thing every page of the Bible screams at us is whether or not we have a right relationship with God. Even in this text, Paul points to people who, whose ears are itching and they go off and they're not enduring sound doctrine, but instead go, go follow after teachers who just tell them what they want and, and, and just follow after their passions and, and build and grow the things that they like to hear. That group of people are people that are not following the Lord. That group of people are people who are not in a right relationship with God. And that, even if they call themselves Christians, even if they, they, the, the building that they meet in is, is called a church, it does not make them people who have a right relationship with God because people who have a right relationship with God are not the people who are following after their own passions and abandoning uh, true doctrine and, and listening to what people want, uh, listening to what they already want to hear. The people of God are people who have a right relationship with the Lord, who have been redeemed and set free from sin and death, who have been convicted by the word of God, who have repented of sin and put their faith in Jesus. What we see in this text is the gospel. What we see in this text from Paul to Timothy is even better. He says, do the work of an evangelist. There is hope, there is life, there is a, a possibility of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus. He tells Timothy to go share it. A good sermon is evangelistic. Every text in scripture is about the gospel. My hope is that every time we gather, you have expectations on the sermon. That you expect certain things from me or whoever it is that's preaching. And I hope that you expect that it's a good sermon, that it is rooted in scripture, that it is convicting, that it is applied to our lives, and that it is evangelistic. I hope that you expect that it is sound doctrine being proclaimed. Do not settle for a sermon that is shallow and empty of the word of God just because it's entertaining. Do not settle for a sermon that sounds good because it's things that you already want to hear and it's things that you already believe. Test the things that are said against the word of God. Evaluate whether or not the scripture that is being proclaimed is being taught accurately. Evaluate whether or not the scripture is being exposed to the church. Have expectations for the sermons. Have expectations when you look at a sermon online, if you look at any other preachers, have expectations on those messages. Have expectations on books from Christian teachers that they be rooted in Scripture and have a clear teaching, clear understanding of the gospel. Have those expectations of me and others. My, uh, I, I'm not always going to be here. And uh, more on top of that, I'm not perfect. So... So call me out uh, and have those expectations on me. But, but I'm also not always going to be here. And I hope a long time from now, when you have to find another preacher who preaches regularly, that you have expectations on them to preach sound doctrine. That the number one thing you evaluate is not the entertainment value of the sermon. It's not the, uh, the engagement level. It's not how funny or exciting it is, but whether it's true and rooted in the word of God. 
some of you here this morning, are, are more like that second category of people in verses 2 through 4. Where you have never been convicted by the word of God. You have shut your ears. You have stopped listening. You have, you have stopped. Uh, when the Bible exposes things in your life, so you've kind of swept it under the rug. But God's word this morning is calling you to repent of sin and to have a right relationship with the Lord. So this morning, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin, to turn to the Lord, to trust in him for forgiveness and grace. In just a second, we're going to sing. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, if that's you, you want to have a right relationship with the Lord this morning, I invite you to come up and talk to me. I'll be standing right here. All I want to do is talk to you about your decision to pray with you, and we'll talk more after. Do not leave here this morning without acting on the conviction. Do not leave here this morning without applying what God is teaching you from his word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is valuable for us. I thank you that the doctrine that you, that, that, that you expose in scripture, the doctrine that you teach us is valuable and profitable for us, Father, I pray that we would be people who love your word, who long to apply it to our lives, God, that we would be people who can't help but, but, but open up God's word together and explain what it, it means. God, I pray that when we gather to talk about scripture in our small groups, God, I pray that we would open it up and we would want to know what you are teaching us from your word. Father, I pray for anyone here does not know you, and who's never allowed themselves to be convicted of their sin, but have constantly shut off their ears and left here the same as when they came. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that needs you, for those who are here this morning that have never entered into a relationship with you, God, I pray this morning would be the morning. God, when they hear your word and the opportunity of salvation and forgiveness, and they respond. Father, we love you and praise you. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.